Welcome to the CJC Weekly Bible Study, where CJC stands for Complete Jesus Christ. If your perspective of Jesus is based only on teachings from the New Testament, then your understanding is incomplete. Regarding what we often call the Old Testament, Jesus himself said, These are the very scriptures that testify about me. So won't you join us today in our study where we esteem the newer and the older testaments alike. I'm your host, Jeff Smith. And currently, we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. All right, we're in Genesis chapter 29. We're in Genesis chapter 29, but I'm going to actually start off today's lesson by taking us back a little bit, taking us back to chapter 24. So if you don't mind, turn to Genesis chapter 24. And I want you to just look in your Bible. A lot of your Bibles are going to tell you what that section is about. All right, so read what it says in your Bible, whatever one you've got, what it says that section is about right after it says chapter 24 and before it says verse 1. What does yours say? Levette, what does yours say? Mine says nothing. Oh, it doesn't have any yeah, subtitles. Or, is, uh, uh, chapter Bible, so oh, okay. do it yourself. All right. <laughs> Mine says Isaac marries Rebecca. Oh, Isaac marries Rebecca. All right, so we're taking this back to Isaac marries Rebecca. All right, so I want you to think back to the Isaac marries Rebecca, and you're welcome to look through the verses, just skim them over. Tell me about some of the highlights of that chapter that you remember from that chapter, about Isaac. And you remember, the Isaac marries Rebecca part didn't come until like the last, you know, the very last part of that chapter. So what led up to that? What were some of the highlights? Blessing. If, say that again? A blessing. A blessing. blessing. Okay. And who did Abraham send? Did he send his son? Well, he, his he sent his servant, right? So he sent his servant. What were some of the things he said to the servant? Says, just go get anybody. <laughs> no. Go, go to, his, to his homeland, to his relatives, and find a wife for his son. Oh, okay. And it was a particular land that he sent him to, right? It wasn't just wander around until you find a, a good girl. Mm-hmm. It was go to this particular place and go to a particular family and go find a wife, a bride, somebody that could be the bride for my son, for my son Isaac, right? And so do you remember the land that he sent him to? It can go by two names. One is Padanaram and one is Haran, all right? Padan, Aram, or Haran. And then, uh, so what happened? Did the servant obey? And he did. He went and he obeyed. He went to where? Where did he go? He went to that land, right? Mm -hmm. What happened when he got to the land? What was the setting? The well? It was a well. Yeah, so the servant comes to the well. And what happened at the well? uh, The first one that comes out there, it will uh, fetch his water for him and feed the camels. Good, all right. Yeah, so he prayed a specific prayer. And then what happened? <laughs> God answers prayer, right? Yeah. So the woman comes out, right? And it ends up being Rebecca. Right. So Rebecca comes out, and you remember that exchange, that little bit of a meeting at the well that went on. Um, there were some gifts of jewelry. If you remember that, some really extravagant gifts. And then did that servant go alone? Did he just go with, like, the backpack on his back? No, he had, like, a caravan of, of goods. And do you remember uh, Rebecca had a brother? Do you remember the brother's name? You got it, Laban. Exactly right. So Rebecca had a brother named Laban, and you remember what happened. Rebecca, what was her response after getting these gifts and meeting this weird guy at the well? What did she do? Do you remember what she did? She ran back to Laban. She ran home and said, "Ah, I got to tell you what just happened, right? And what did Laban do? Do you remember what Laban did? 
Yeah, he ran out to the well to meet the servant and says, oh, oh, come on in, please come in, come in, come in. And took him in and then, yeah, you remember the servant handed out presents, handed out goods to uh, the family of Laban and uh, Bethuel uh, was the dad there in that situation. So we've got a well, we've got it's in Haran or Padanaram. Uh, We've got the, the woman comes out to the well, all right. And then she runs back home, and then Laban ends up running out to greet the guy and, and bringing him in and, and being the host, if you will. And you had those extravagant gifts that were given as well. I want you to fast forward now then to chapter 28. Not quite where we are yet, but we're just going to spend two verses here. Chapter 28, verses 1 and 2. This is the next generation, all right? So Isaac and Rebekah, they have kids, Jacob and Esau. Esau ends up marrying women of the land of Canaan. Mom and dad are not happy with that situation. Dad takes Jacob and gives him instructions. Somebody mind reading verses 1 and 2 of chapter 28. So Isaac called for Jacob, blessed him, and said, Do not marry any of these Canaanite women. Instead, go on. Go at once to Padam Aram, to the house of your grandfather Bethuel. Bethuel, good job. And marry one of your uncle Laban's daughters. Good job. Do you recognize some of those names in there? Mm -hmm. Same yeah, they're kind of the, yeah, they're the same names. They're the same people. So when Rebecca came over and she ended up marrying Isaac, Isaac and Rebecca, Isaac is now he has a son and it's time for his son to get married. So he gives instructions to his son to go to the same place, to the same family, and go through the same procedure that Abraham's servant went through to find a bride, right? But instead of sending a servant, they send him specifically. Do you remember why they send him specifically? Brother. Yeah, because his brother wants to kill him. <laughs> So if Isaac sends a servant, well, Esau's going to kill Jacob. If we just send Jacob by himself, then there's probably not going to be a death. All right, so they send Jacob to the same place where his wife came from, to the same family. And that's the background I want you to see as we start to move into uh, the material we're going to be looking at today. But I want to take you to one last place. Genesis chapter 28, verse 15. Same chapter, but verse 15 is kind of a key verse in this meeting between God and Jacob. Because on that 500-mile journey, Jacob has a momentous occasion where God meets him. And God speaks to him. God introduces himself to Jacob. And among the things that he says to him, he says in verse 15, Behold, I am with you. God is saying to Jacob, I am with you. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. This was led up to by God saying things like, I'm going to convey all of those promises that I gave to your grandfather Abraham, all of those same promises that I conveyed to his son, your dad, Isaac. I am now passing on to you, Jacob, and those things I will fulfill in your life when you come back. But as you go, I'm going to be with you. I'm not just the God of the land you've left. I'm a God where you are right now, and I'm a God where you're going. And I'm going to be the God that comes back with you. I'm going to be with you the whole way. And so God met with Jacob. Jacob had a meeting with God that changed his life. And now he goes from that point of mid-journey to the land that he's going to, that he's never been to before, all right? So we're opening up then in Genesis chapter 29, verse 1. So Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. Came to the land of the people of the east. The mention of the word east here, the use of the word east here by the author, a lot of times we've seen so far, whenever east is mentioned in the book of Genesis, it usually carries heartache or toil or or hardship with it, okay? Uh, You remember when Cain killed his brother Abel, God sent him east. You remember when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God sent him east. 
All right. You remember uh, the whole Tower of Babel situation and Noah's Ark situation. They, they had this mention of East. It carries with it sometimes the idea of hardship. Okay. So he's going to a place where uh, every time before we've seen it, it's been a clue. There's going to be some hardship. All right. So the reader is reading this going, ooh, he's going East. Uh, that could be hard. All right. Uh, but here we have he's going to the land of the East. And uh, by the way, the phrase there that's actually translated into Jacob went on his journey, it actually in Hebrew, it means lifted up his feet. It almost sounds like he wakes up that next morning having met God and there's a new bounce to his step. <laughs> All right. So he's picking up his feet. He's lifting up his feet. He's heading off to the east. Verse two. And he looked and saw a well in the field. And behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well, they watered the flocks. A large stone was on the well's mouth. So here he is. He's coming into a land. He sees a well. He decides where there's a well, there's going to be people. And he goes over to that well. And uh, one of the things that you find here is a description of this well. It has a large stone over its mouth. Okay? Why would they put a large stone over its mouth? Well, in looking at the commentaries, it turns out there's quite a few good reasons for putting a stone over its mouth. Number one, uh, maybe somebody fell in the well and they decided this is a good way to keep people from falling in. <laughs> okay? Uh, number two, it could keep impurities from going in. Maybe you have a dust storm and it blows all the dust in your well and you're like, yeah, i got to clean out the well again. You can put a stone over it and solve that problem. Or to keep animals from going in contaminating the well or drinking from the well. Or if the stone's big enough and requires more than one person to move, then just single travelers or people that are vagabonds or whatnot couldn't steal your water if it's just one of them. You know, if your stone is large and heavy enough that it could keep them from stealing some of your water. And then verse 3, now all the flax would be gathered there and they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. And so we find out something. Not only in verse 2 is it a large stone. Verse 3, it sounds like there's a cooperative effort that's required to move this stone. So it sounds like the typical setup is that guy's flocks comes in, this guy's flocks comes in, that person's flocks come in, that person's flock come in. And when they're in, each of the persons that's in charge, all right, everybody, grab a corner of the stone. And let's move this stone out of the way. It's too heavy for anybody to take their flocks in just to water their own flocks. It sounds like it's almost a cooperative thing where we're all going to have equal access to the water and nobody gets to come in and just take it for themselves. And uh, it requires cooperation among all of them to be able to accomplish this feat. All right? So it takes a collective strength of people to move the stone. Verse 4 we see here, And Jacob said to them, My brethren, so he's starting off politely. That's a good way to start off when you enter a new place and you don't know who the people are, whether they're going to be friendly or not. He starts off politely. My brethren, where are you from? And they said, We are from Haran. Haran. Have we seen Haran yet? Yeah. Is Haran the place he's supposed to go? Yeah. That's the place he's supposed to go. Haran or Padanaram. He's there in Haran. He's in the place that he's been journeying to get to. He comes upon the place where they say, You've made it, basically. They confirm for him the information that he's probably hoping to hear. Your journey is over. <laughs> you made it to the place you're going. They say we're from the place where he's been trying to get to. Verse 5. Somebody mind reading verse 5. He said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, we know him. So Laban, right? That was the person he was instructed to go meet. It's one of Laban's daughters that you're going to marry is, is the hope of his dad, Jacob's dad. So he's now asking about Laban, the son of Nahor. By the way, when it says son of Nahor, uh, Laban's dad is actually Bethuel. Nahor is a greater ancestor. But in the Hebrew, son can mean descendant. All right, It can mean any distant relative. Uh, we even see that even up until the time of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, Jesus is introduced to us as Jesus, the son of David. But if you 
know your history, you know that Jesus and David are separated by a thousand years. <laughs> Lots of generations. But you can use that word in the Hebrew because it means descendants. All right. Oh, so uh, in this case, it says, do you know Laban, the son or the descendant of Nahor? And they confirm for him. Yeah, we know him. So he just happens to come upon the right context. People that actually know who he's looking for. Next one over here in Genesis 29, verse 6. Somebody mind reading that one? So he said to them, is he well? And they said, he's well. And look, his daughter Rachel is coming with a sheep. Excellent. Thank you, Gabriela. So here he's asking about the condition of, you know, because he's never been there. He's never met them. Now, for all intents and purposes, the people that his dad told him to go meet, he doesn't know if they're going to even be alive. Mm. All right. So he's asking, hey, how's he doing? Is he doing well? And he gets a good report. Yeah, he's doing well. Oh, and by the way, see way over there? Here comes one of his daughters. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. You can see where this might go. All right. So he gets confirmation that the conditions are good, right? Laban's well. The household sounds like it's doing well. And here comes the right person. This is a prospective bride coming his way. And look at the timing. I mean, he could have arrived an hour later and they might be done. He could have arrived earlier and it might be nobody there at the well. The timing seems to be really well arranged, all right? Uh, by the way, this person that's coming, what's her name? What does it say there in verse 6? Rachel. Rachel, her name means like a baby lamb, a little ewe lamb, all right? Kind of a nice name for a daughter. We're going to find out later that she ends up uh, having a sister. Her name is Leah, and it means something like cow. <laughs> I think I'd rather be the baby ewe lamb than the, than the cow. <laughs> verse 7, somebody might read in verse 7. Look, he said, the sun is still high. It is not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. So Jacob comes from a setting where, where sheep and lambs and goats are raised. He knows the routine. He's seen it enough that, you know, they had plenty of flocks where he came from. So he sees this situation where, hmm, it's kind of early in the day for you guys to be like getting your sheep their last water before bedtime. Uh, but there's probably a ruse going on here as well. He's probably trying to arrange an opportunity for him to meet Rachel without these busybodies listening in on what's going on, right? So it sounds like he's encouraging them to like, hey, quick, get your sheep uh, watered and get them back out to pasture, right? Not realizing the situation having to do with the stone yet. Verse 8, somebody might read in that one. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered and they roll the stone from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. So he's been informed now that the reason for this, they're waiting, not doing anything, you know, I imagine that, what does that look like to him? Well, in modern days, I had imagined that if you come upon this scene, you probably see these young kids and they're out on their phones, right? And they're just like, not really doing what they were paid to do. They're just hanging out by the well. And for all intents and purposes, it looks like they're just doing their own thing. They're just goofing off and just hanging out, right? So he's trying to encourage them, hey, get busy, get to work and get away, get out of here. I, I, I want a I chance to meet this girl. And they're going, oh, but there's an arrangement you don't know about. We all gather here. This is what we do. And then when we're all here, we, we then call, collectively grab onto the stone and move the stone out of the way. Right? So that's, they're informing him of what they traditionally do. Uh, verse 9. Somebody might read that one. As this conversation was going on, Rachel arrived with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. Excellent. Thank you. The Hebrew word there for shepherdess or shepherd, uh, female shepherd, uh, this is the only time in the Bible it appears. It wasn't uncommon for women to be shepherds. They could be shepherds along with men. Uh, but in the Bible, as far as the number of occurrences, this is the only place where that actual word is used. So it's kind of interesting to see that. 
Uh, but it looks like his plan to get them uh, watered and out of the way uh, didn't work because they're still there when she, she rolls up to the well. And then verse 10. So you're expecting in verse 10 that you're going to see that these people, the people in charge of the sheep, are going to grab onto the stone and move it. But instead we see something different. Somebody mind reading verse 10. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Excellent. Thank you, Gabriella. Jacob himself moves the stone. Do you catch that? It's usually a stone which requires multiple people to move. Jacob isn't the outdoorsy guy. He's not the one that used to go out and, you know, wrestle the animals and bring them home for stew, right? Uh, this is a guy that uh, was hanging out in the camp. Yet something about seeing her, according to this verse, moves him enough that he decides to go over and uh, move the stone himself. Uh, I think it's pretty neat that God made the stone the right size that he could accomplish this, or maybe God empowered him to be able to do it. But isn't that still the same nowadays? You got the guy and he wants to show off a little oh, bit for the girl. So yeah, doing something that might actually hurt you, but <laughs> he ends up accomplishing it. Uh, so he ends up moving the stone out of the way. And I've got to think, you know, if this is the routine and Rachel is one of the normal ones that's usually present when the stone gets moved, she probably hasn't a clue how heavy this is because she's seen it moved a lot and she sees one guy moving. Maybe that's probably a little bit impressive. Mm -hmm. Maybe she's kind of standing back going, oh, who's the stranger over there? <laughs> who's the big boy that could move the big rock? <laughs> verse 11. Somebody might be reading verse 11. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. Very infrequently in the Bible is it mentioned where a man kisses a woman. This is one of those places. You do have a place mentioned in Song of Solomon where you have a man kissing a woman. Uh, you have one place in 1 Kings chapter 19 where Elisha kisses his mother. Uh, you have in, in this book of Genesis, you have Laban kissing his daughters, but almost never do you see uh, a single man kissing a single woman in the Bible. Uh, but this is one of those rare places. And what does that suggest? What does that suggest? Yeah, that's a that's great bold. question. There are some that would suggest this was a romantic kiss, and there are others would suggest, no, this is a familial kiss, where it's, oh, you're, we're family. And it's the greeting. But usually you see the greeting between the men. You don't normally have it described here as between a man and a woman. We have a clue as we're reading through this. We get a hint from all this going, hmm, that's a little more than I would have expected. I wonder if these two are going to get married. I wonder if she's going to be the wife of this guy and then the promise is going to come through them and for their children. And you would be right. All right. So it's kind of interesting how that's going to end up working out. So is this surprising to the people who are around who see this? It probably is. There would probably be no shortage of questions among each other like, who's that guy? What does this mean? Where did he come from? Are they related? Yeah, there's probably some questions and maybe even some rumors getting started right, right about now. So Jacob ends up kissing Rachel and he lifts up his voice and weeps. He's obviously overwhelmed. Yeah. But why does he weep? Why is he overwhelmed? What are some possibilities? We're going to be speculating here for a few moments. Can you think of some of the reasons he might be overwhelmed? That God answered his prayer. That God answered his prayer. I think that's actually the big one. I mean, we could say, well, maybe he's overwhelmed because she's beautiful. I don't know. Maybe he's overwhelmed because he finds the right family. Maybe he's overwhelmed because his journey is over. Maybe he's overwhelmed because that stone was really heavy and it actually hurt. You know? <laughs> There's any number of reasons that it could be, but I think Levette's exactly right. I think he's overwhelmed because God's handiwork has been very evident here in just these last few moments for him. He's come to exactly the right place. 
He's talked to exactly the right contacts who are able to give him exactly the good news he hopes for, that Laban is well, the family's well, the conditions are right. The timing is impeccable because here comes one of Laban's daughters, and then it's the right person coming out. Here comes an actual prospective bride coming out to meet him at the well. I mean, maybe the idea that Genesis chapter 28, verse 15, when God says, I will go with you, is become evident to him. Oh my goodness, it's all perfectly arranged as if God did this, as if God is with me, as if God has confirmed for him and he realizes it. God is with me just like he promised when I was on the journey when he met me that night. Do you realize God gives us that same promise as well, though? Go to the very last verse of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, the very first book of the New Testament. Somebody mind, when you get there, read the very last verse of the book of Matthew. This is a promise made by Jesus to his followers. And if you're a follower of God, this promise applies to you as well. What does it say in that very last verse of Matthew? Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Excellent. Thank you, Levette. I am with you always. My God is with you always. Gabriela, God is with you always to the end of the age. Sherry, the same for you and Levette and I as well. God makes a promise to us, the same promise that he made way back here in the first book of the Bible. I am with you. And we see it playing out, and Jacob sees it playing out, what that really looks like. It looks like not only is he just attending with me as I go through life, he's able to orchestrate things for me, to keep me in his will. As I desire to follow him, he's able to order my steps. As I submit my plans to him, he's able to take me from where I am to where he wants me to be. And so as we yield to God and allow him to lead us, we find that he leads us into places where everything is all arranged for us, where it could be really scary. You could have shown up to the well and it could be people are angry in this town. <laughs> you could show up to the well and the stone's too heavy. You could show up at the well and Laban's not doing well. You could show up at the well and he has no daughters. They've been killed or married off. There's all kinds of things that could have gone wrong. But God has made sure that the arrangements are all worked out for his plan and his purposes. And if he's got a plan and a purpose for your life, and I assure you he does, he's able to do the same with you as you yield yourself to him. As we yield ourselves to him, he can lead us and guide us just like he did here. He is with us just like he is here with Jacob. And he's overwhelmed at this. And he ends up lifting up his voice and weeping. Verse 12, somebody might read it, verse 12. He explained that he was her cousin on her father's side, her Aunt Rebecca's son. So Rachel quickly ran and told her father Laban. So what does she do? She quickly runs and goes to tell Laban. Wait, does, is this starting to sound a lot like what happened with her aunt, with Jacob's mom? Yeah, if you notice, it's the same kind of thing. It's the same place. It's maybe the same well. It's the same family and the same reaction. She goes and runs off. <laughs> to tell the rest of the family, hey, you got to hear this weird situation that happened to me at the well. In verse 13, then it came to pass when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. So he told Laban all these things. Uh, what are some of the reasons why Laban might go running out to meet him? Yes. Maybe. Yes. Maybe he's remembering last time. You remember that? <laughs> remember last time? He's like, oh, man, I got rich last time. <laughs> Get that man and bring him in there. That worked out really well last time. So he goes to get Jacob and he brings him in, right? If you look at that, what's the next thing? You see there, verse 14, and Laban said to him, Surely you are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. But there's a few differences from last time. Last time when he ran out to the well, there's this attendant caravan. There's gifts galore. Yeah, um, it's a little different now. Yeah. Runs out there, probably goes like this. 
Where'd the guy go? <laughs> Wait, are you that guy? Where, where's all the camels? <laughs> Where are all the bags on the camels that are overloaded with stuff? Uh, there's probably not that exchange, but it's probably possible. He could be thinking that. Um, but there's also probably the excitement that comes from just being able to hear news of the family that you haven't heard from in so long. Because if you think about it, there's been a lot of time that has passed since his sister was taken back. If you think about it, if you do the math, how long has it been? Well, let's see. Jacob is at least 40 years old right now, if not 77 years old right now. Low end 40, high end 77. Jacob wasn't born when Laban's sister was taken. In fact, when Laban's sister, when Jacob's mom was taken and had her marriage, there were 20 years that passed between the time they got married and the time they had sons. 20 years. So you add, Laban, or you add Jacob's age to 20, or you add 20 to Jacob's age, what do you end up with? You end up with 60 to 97 years that Laban hasn't heard news of how it turned out with his sister. There could be some enthusiasm to try to find some news there to figure out what's going on. So he probably brings in Jacob. Yeah, come in, come in, come in. Let us take care of you. But there's also probably, I need some answers to my questions. Did you come alone? You came alone. Why did you come alone? When we find there at the end of verse 13, where it says, so he, talking about Jacob, so he told Laban all these things. I wonder what that sounded like. I wonder what was in the story. Did he tell him I'm fleeing for my life? <laughs> did he tell him that uh, my mom, your sister, had two sons and one of them, the other one that's back there wants to kill me. I'm one of them and the other one, you know, if I would have stayed, I would probably be dead right now all the awkward family situation that happened. Is that a broken family? Is that a messed up family? It is a messed up family. We all come from families that are less than perfect. And so when he says he told him all things, did he disclose that? We don't know. What did he disclose? Did he disclose, hey, I'm here because I was given instructions to marry one of your daughters? He might have told that. I think one of the big things he did tell, though, I'm imagining he probably worked backwards in what he told I'm imagining that he probably worked backwards, and one of the first things he said is, you know, i got to tell you, I'm on this journey. I've been sent here by my family to come and find a suitable bride from your family. But i got to tell you, I had this weird experience that happened to me on the journey. It changed my life. I was a different person. I was a horrible person before, but God met me on this journey. And i got to tell you, it was so powerful to see and to realize just a few minutes ago that the promise he made to me when he met me on the way, when he said, I will be with you, I've seen that come true just now as I met your daughter. I've seen that come true just as I came into your, the area of your village, as I came to the well, as I talked to those shepherds out there. I've realized that God really is real and that he really does follow me. And he's able to take care of all the loose ends that I worry about. I got to tell you, I'm finding out about God for the first time, it feels like. I've heard about him all my life, but it's become real for me now. My mom and my dad, they had a relationship with God that I never really felt like I had. But now I'm finding out for myself that this is something personal, that this is something real, that God isn't a God that's limited by geography. He's not limited by distance. He's not limited even by family association. That this God who my parents talk about, I can have a personal relationship with him. Now I can tell you about all the sordid stuff that I've come from. I ran away from home because my dad and my mom knew I would be dead if I stayed there. The things that I engaged in, and sorry to say that your sister, my mom, put me up to, mm -hmm. um, it was messy. 
And it resulted in a mess of our family life. But I feel like God is really doing something in my life. And he's made promises that I now feel like he's going to follow through on. Promises that he made to my grandpa. Promises he made to my dad. And he met with me on the road here and said, those promises are mine as well. So I'm here to see what God would have for me. And I'm here to just follow God, whatever that looks like, wherever it takes me. And it's led me here exactly where I was supposed to go. I have a feeling that was a pretty powerful conversation that he had. And we're going to end up seeing how this turns out. And I'd like to tell you that mm-hmm. it all turns out perfectly well. <laughs> that everybody you ever deal with after you meet God is going to take care of you. And God's mm-hmm. going to smooth everything over. But that's not going to be the case that we're going to see here. Mm-hmm. Because we're going to meet some scoundrels along the way. And sometimes there's still a scoundrel inside of us that wants to come out. And we're going to see some of those conflicts that come up. But as it is now, verse 14, Laban says to him, Surely you are bone of my bone. Basically embracing him and taking him in, accepting him for who he is right then. And it says here, and he stayed with him for a month. That was another difference as well. You remember the servant, Abraham's servant? He's like, I'm just here, just looking for the woman. Thank you very much. Mind if we leave right away? And they're like, can you stick around for a little bit? Well, you know what? All right, but send me off as soon as we can. It's a little bit different in this situation. He's sticking around for a month as it is before until the next verse. So we'll get into it a little bit more and see how smoothed over things are. Or... If living with God sometimes leads us into places that are difficult. <laughs> and that's when we want to embrace even more the promise that God gives us, I will be with you. Because it's, it's in the good times and in the bad that we're glad to have God with us. All right, let's go some prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are with us. That that promise that you made thousands of years ago to Jacob the patriarch, Lord, that's a promise you extend to us, nobodies, people that outside this building, A lot of people don't even know who we are. Inside the building, they don't even know who we are. And yet, you make the same promise to us as you do for the one that uh, is getting this whole nation started, Lord, the whole nation of Israel to come from this person, Jacob. God, uh, we marvel. We marvel at at your omniscience, your ability to know a beginning from end, your ability to know every eventuality, and your ability to lead and guide and to work out all the details of a messy life We present to you, Lord, messy lives, and we ask for you to lead and guide us. We present to you broken family situations, and we ask that you would do something in them that bring you glory. We ask that you would find in us yielded hearts, hearts that are submitted to your guidance, to your leading, to your will, and help us, Lord, to live for your glory. We thank you for being so gracious and merciful as to have a place for us in your great plan. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Praise God.